example, the biggest gift my grandfather ever gave me, because he was my mentor. I talk about him a ton in my book. One of the best gifts was allowing me to be with him during his run in professional drag racing, to watch him go through really hard things and to watch him battle through it and come out on the other end. Welcome to The Art of Fatherhood, a podcast that takes you on the journey of fatherhood. Now, here's your host, Art Eddy. This week's episode of the Art of Fatherhood podcast is being brought to you by Begin Health. Begin Health's Growing Up Prebiotics is a daily prebiotic for toddlers and kids ages one and up. You may be asking yourself, what's the difference between probiotics and prebiotics? Probiotics are the bacteria in your gut and prebiotics feed the good gut bacteria. Why is this important, you may ask? Over 70% of the immune system is located in our gut, and strengthening the gut starts with feeding it the good stuff. Growing Up Prebiotics is a tasteless and textureless powder that can easily be mixed into your little one's water, juice, or milk, delivering 3 grams of fiber per serving. So if you're looking to support your kiddo's immune system, make sure you pick up Growing Up Prebiotics at BeginHealth.com. That's BeginHealth.com. What's going on, everybody? Already here for another edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. I'm very happy to have Bryce Kenny. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me, sir. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be some. We're going to have some fun. I already know by the games right behind your head, right there, that we we we're, we're cut from the same cloth. <laughs> no doubt. When you mentioned Nintendo 64, I was like, yeah, this dude is like you even said like it's my jam. No point intended for NBA Jam, but I was just like. Yeah, like Nintendo 64 was amazing, like GoldenEye, Mario Kart, NBA Jam, NBA Hang Time, yeah. all those games, right? Like you were saying NBA Jam was your favorite at that point, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. He's heating up, you know, and then you got all the hot spots and stuff, man. And <laughs> I just I just used to I had this one friend that always his passion in life was to try to beat me at NBA Jam and he would be winning. And for whatever reason, and I was always, uh, all it was Hornacek and uh, I was the, the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz yep. And so it was Hornacek and uh, uh, Malone, Malone or Malone and, and the small guy. Stockton. Stockton. Yeah. And so I, every time, man, I would take Stockton and all of a sudden I'd be just lighting up threes <laughs> and I would always come back and beat this friend. And so, but he would, you know, throw the controller kind of a thing and nothing brought me more pleasure than him just absolutely irate that I just so happened to beat him up at the buzzer by a seven point, you know, three pointer uh, yeah. from a hot spot just out of nowhere. So yeah, I love NBA Jam. <laughs> that is all. Yeah. It, video games at that time were so like competitive. Now you kind of play online and you don't like get the atmosphere of actually playing with someone either yeah. in an arcade or there. We're going to get into father in a second, but this is an awesome conversation about video games. <laughs> but we would like, like no one would play me in Mortal Kombat because I would just smoke them. My friends, like even when you had like the cheat where like if you had one hit on me, I'd die. Never like I'd still win. Uh. One of my friends that played Madden when we for like a PS1, we were so upset. I think it was like, the Randy Moss, uh, Tom Brady Patriots, where he set a play, put his controller on the ground and say all day, and he'd score a touchdown. We couldn't stop it. We couldn't do it. It was almost like the Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl, like cheat, right? And we were so pissed off. Like, you could never be him. That it can't be the Pats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, man. I was in high school, and that was the first the first game that did go online. You talk about the difference between, you know, just playing in person and online was Call of Duty, right? Oh. So it was right with the very first Call of Duty, and I had that one friend that was so good with a shotgun with a shotgun of all of all weapons <laughs> and and it was it was so infuriating when you couldn't beat them and so i 
I purposefully do not own an Xbox PlayStation. I do not own a a, a console because I would be be that guy where my <laughs> wife would have to like go to counseling because her husband's playing video games till 3 a.m. Like I know I would be that guy. So I don't know at what point I'm going to take the plunge and buy an Xbox and, and, and start doing all this stuff online, but uh, it's not today. I, I just cannot afford to be able to go out there and give up six hours of my life every night yet i hope one day i'll be able to do that but not yet well your kids are a little bit younger than mine but like we have playstation 5 and my my youngest got into hockey because we started playing nhl 22 so you can always use your kids as like the way like the gateway to get into video games and be like oh honey we're just playing we're bonded we're playing some yeah. video games and all that other stuff right see the the problem is though i use that card for rc cars oh so I've already played. I've already played that card, Art. All right. So and and it, and it has worked. And my wife is always like, "Okay, yep, go out and you know, go. Yeah, of course you need that that new RC. Keegan loves playing. I get it. So yeah, yeah, I gotta save up for a couple more years or something to play that card on a on an Xbox 360. <laughs> I love the fact that dads have their go to like their vice that they could bring their kids in and be like, "Honey, trust me, this is what you know. This is a great you know bonding." Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, he'll he'll remember this when he gets older, honey. I promise. <laughs> Such a great line. Yeah, yeah, he'll remember this. <laughs> All right. So speaking of remembering, talk yeah. to me when you found out you're going to be a dad for the first time. What was going through your mind, man? Oh man, uh, I was, I had a, just an outrageously huge smile on my face because I was I wasn't believing. You know, before you become a dad, you don't I think that it's possible. Like you read about it in science books, but you know, surely that that's not something that we could do, you know? And so, uh, I remember when she was, when, when, uh, when she finally, you know, yelled out from the other room and I, I couldn't speak, but I was so filled with joy, you know, and you do have that panic moment of like, Oh my gosh. But I really think that that's the best thing about nine months out that you, the fact that you have, yes, it, it takes nine months for this baby to fully develop. It also takes us a full nine months to like develop into that mindset of maybe I could do this. You you don't think you can do it anyway. Even now I'm here. I am. I've been a dad for eight years and I'm not convinced I can do it, but you get where I'm coming from. It's like, you need that nine months before that baby shows up yeah. uh, to actually think you could pull this off. <laughs> yeah. Usually the spouse, like she's the one that's like nesting and getting things ready. You're yeah. like your baby proof in the house. You're, you know, getting, making sure that the car seat's all set. Yeah. There's different ways of like, you know, preparing mentally, physically, and I guess emotionally. Yes. Um, so especially for you with your great career, and we're going to be mm. talking about your book geared for life, but you know, obviously um, into uh, monster truck racing, you're a speaker, you go to different places and, you know, help out, you know, different businesses and share your inspiration so that you can inspire others and all that. So I, I think that, you know, kind of like paying it forward and making sure that people can find their own inspiration is, you know, is a great way to like teach your kids like how to help others. So besides like paying it forward and kind of helping people find their own like inspiration, talk about some of the other values you're looking to instill into them. Yeah, I, honestly, I want I, I heard a really good uh, interview with Ryan Reynolds of all people. And I do like Ryan Reynolds. I think everyone does, but he made a really good point. And I think I've strived to do this with my own kids. He said, you know, my goal with uh, Blakely, his, his wife, is that by the time our kids are grown and out of the house, that they know how to make decisions. And like, for whatever reason, as simple as that was, it was so profound because, and then my wife and I started debating through all of this because she's the youngest of four girls mm -hmm. and I'm the third of four boys. 
So my whole family was boys. Her whole family was girls. That's what makes it funny too. Cause when my son does something, you know, she looks at me like, is that a normal, is that just a boy thing? Do I need to be, be worried? I'm like, he's fine. And then yeah. the same thing, you know, my daughter, my daughters will do something. I'm like, is that, no, is that just a girl thing? Or like, are, should we panic? She's like, no, she's fine. That's just girls do that. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, uh, uh, but we get to help each other out in that way. But what's crazy to me is I, because I was the third and, and I think, you know, you read all these birth order books and stuff. And I, I'm a big believer in that too. Cause you could see it. It's like, oh, I'm the third kid. I was way more independent. Um, I just, I wasn't, I just did not, my, you know, my kids never even, or my, my parents never took me, they didn't drop me off at school and college and stuff. And my, my wife is like, thinks I'm, you know, have some traumatic memory of my parents not being willing to take me to school. I was like, no, I made them stay home. I was going starting preseason for soccer at Campbell university. And I was like, guys, well, I got a, I got a TV and a bag of clothes. Like I'll be okay. You don't need to drive all the way down to Campbell with me for this. And I convinced them to stay home. Um, but you know, you've got that, uh, that independence. And so by the time I turned 18, I knew how to make decisions and I knew how to live with them. My wife, on the other hand, she was the youngest, she was the baby. Um, and it's not that she didn't know how to make decisions and, uh, but her parents just, they, they raised her differently where she really didn't have to make a lot of hard decisions. So then she gets out in college, goes off to college. And she kind of struggled for a while because that was the first time that she had to to make decisions and live by the consequences of those. And so as a dad, I really, that hit home with me. I was like, I want my three kids, by the time they leave me, they're not going to make all the right decisions. They're going to learn and, and fall on their face and they're going to make some good decisions and reap the rewards of all that. But I just want them to know what it looks like to make a decision and be willing to, to live by the results of those. And I think if I, if I can do that by the time they leave the house, man, I think that's a win as a parent. No doubt. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something behind me in my room in my office, my podcast studio, your podcast studio on to, to behind you. It says, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And like, <laughs> you you know, you want your kids to, it, it, when they're, when they're walking for the first time, you don't want to put bubble wrap on them. So they don't, when they fall over, they don't hit their head and all that. Yeah. But you, as, as time goes on, you learn like, no, they need to fail. They need to like learn. And that, you know, that scene in Batman begins with, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne and, uh, Alfred, it's like, why do we fall? Up? Why do we fall down, sir? So we can pick ourselves back up, right? As yeah. corny as that sounds, that's yeah. when it comes to parenting. Like you, you need to do that, and I, yeah, you just want that. And it's funny, like I'm the third of three kids, and I was the only boy. But like when the college thing, like so hit a bell. Like I, I, you know, went to UNH and I commuted the first two years in this junior year. I moved in myself. I was like, yep, yeah, got TV, got my clothes, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why you why you need to take me to school, mom? I'm I'm fine. Like I'll figure it out. Like it's hard. Uh, you know, I'm a college student. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so you and I, I knew we were cut from the same cloth from the NBA Jam stuff, and now now for sure, like we're like the same human being. I, I think I got a little more hair on on my head though than you. I don't know. Yep. Yeah, yeah, see, you do it. <laughs> I'm the I'm the Mohawk warrior. You're the No Hawk warrior. I like it. That's cool, man. Yeah, I gave up the dream for hair like a few years ago. Like. <laughs> Not a few years ago. Wow. Probably like almost 10 years ago. I just looked in the mirror and one of my friends is like, oh, you gave up the dream. I was like, yeah, like, our choice looks better. I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, um, I'm just, I just, I like to pick on people just because I look, my time's coming too. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well you still got hair it still looks good yeah, mine thank just you. look like if their wind would come off it'd just be like no nah, it's not a good look so don't yeah do it, it off. <laughs> and it's funny too my kids facebook 
or whatever, you know, like, like, Oh, like I'll share them. Like, Oh, this was like eight years ago or like 10 years ago. And they're like, dad, you had hair. I was like, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. growing up like Charlie Brown. Like I did have hair. <laughs> so <clears throat> kind of funny. Talk about uh, something that your kids taught you about yourself or about life that maybe you didn't know was there until you became a dad. You know, it was a big thing that I learned from my daughter is uh, it's not that I knew that I couldn't control the results of the world, <laughs> but until I became a dad, I really did uh, begin to think, you know, even though I was so protective of her, I think that's what is hard is knowing that I can't protect her all the time. And the way that she views me is, is going to be the way that only today an eight year old can think through She's not going to be able to see me for a leader because she that's hopefully that's all she's ever known. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I asked her a couple of years ago, she said, um, she came to me, you know, she was probably about five and she said, daddy, I don't, I don't like you being a monster jam driver. And I was, Oh honey, you know why what's wrong and stuff. And she said, well, because you travel all the time and you're gone. Now my, my daughter has never seen me in a corporate job because when she was born is when I left my corporate job, placing CEOs into private equity backed companies as a recruiter. Um, I left that to go to monster jam and it just so happened that was the same year she was born and all that. And that's a totally different story, but she's never seen the, the eight to six and then plugging back in at, at nine o'clock and then, you know, going on vacations and really not being on vacation because, you know, you've got a project you're trying to accomplish and, uh, she doesn't know what it's like to have a dad that way, but she also, but she knows me being gone four and five days at a time, especially when I'm in the season, January through May, I'm traveling all the time, but she came to me and she was, she was kind of like, you know, uh, dad, I don't like you being a monster jam driver. She told me that all that. And then, uh, I thought for a split second, like, should I give this up? Because I, I never want my kids to think my career is more important than, than them or anything is more important than them. And I remember talking to a buddy because a buddy did basically one of my uh, friends, he drove a, one of the grave digger trucks and he pretty much did give it up because of that very reason. His, his kid came to him and said the same thing. But I remember looking at my, my buddy and I said, look, my, my kids don't run my household either. Like I run my household. I'm a leader of my family and I don't want them to think anything's more important than them, but I also want them to know what it looks like to chase a dream and to, to go after something that's bigger than myself and to go through hard things. My biggest, uh, I am so grateful. The biggest gift my grandfather ever gave me, because he was my mentor. I talk about him a ton in my book. One of the best gifts was allowing me to be with him during his run in professional drag racing, to watch him go through really hard things and to watch him battle through it and come out on the other end. Okay, right? It's not that he came out unscathed. You know, there's always trauma and things that are tough and difficult and all that. And But to watch him and realize, you know what, no trial that I saw him have to go through killed him, right? Uh, you know, none of that was something that was that that cost him his life or anything. Like, he came out okay, you know? And, and so for me, now as an adult, I'll be okay. Like, as hard as it gets, if I just keep fighting and grinding it out and find my next gear, then I'll be okay. And so my daughter about a year ago, fast forward then, she came to me and she was like, uh, I, I actually asked her, I'm sorry. She didn't come to me. I, I asked her, I said, Hey, what do you think? You know, what if I I'm slowing down and I, cause I'm certainly on the back nine of my, my driving career. And, uh, I said, what, you know, what, what do you think about dad? Not being Mohawk warrior, not driving a, a monster jam truck anymore. And she said, Oh no, no, no. I, I want you to keep driving. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, why? Uh, she said, just because I, I like you being a monster jam driver. And then it was like the next day I went to go pick her up from school art. 
and I had a hat on and, and she got mad at me because I did not gel up my hair into a mohawk. And I just started laughing. I'm like, what, what is, why do you want me? Why did you want me to do your hair, my hair today? She's like, because people recognize you when you do. And I said, oh, I said, so you like it when dad gets recognized as Mohawk warrior now? And she's like, yes. So <laughs> at least right now I'm still cool in their eyes. And I don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, but I, I really learned that about life in my mind. So whether I'm, a, I've been a, a leader of people, you know, if I was a CEO of a company, if I'm a leader of my family, like, yes, their emotions matter. And my, my career influences and impacts them. But just to say, oh, it's hard on my family, therefore I need to change, that may not be the right answer. The right answer may be allowing them to see your struggle and then refusing to quit until you're on the other side of it. And think about how empowering that'll be for them because they're going to get their teeth kicked in by life too when they get older. Everybody does. Life throws all kinds of curveballs. Are they going to have the belief, not just the strength, not just the smarts, are they going to choose to believe that good things are going to be coming just around the, the corner of the next bend? Because if they do choose to believe that because they saw you choose to believe that, there's a greater chance they can make it through it. Bryce, I love that for many reasons. And something you said just about the idea of like having your kids see you struggle and see you fail and you and you you want that to happen because you grew from it as a person seeing your grandfather do that right mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of great things that kind of maybe bleed into my next question about like a piece of advice or a dad hack you offered a new dads but i just kind of want to go back i just kind of still want to stay here because like i'll talk to my kids and my wife too like she works in uh, the medical device field i obviously run my own business have to you know get sponsorships to pick you know keep the lights on all that good stuff and there are times where i tell them it's like it's a struggle like before before we did a call today, someone like kind of ghosted me for a sales call, a marketing call. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's going to happen. So when they ask me like, how you, cause we, when we have dinner, it's like a focal point for us during the day. Um, we say like, you know, how was your day? Good day. You know, what was your good parts? What were your bad parts? You don't always have to have a good or bad part, but you just don't want to have like these questions where it's not a yes or no. Right. You want to yeah. like have a great dialogue, but like, I'll say to them like, yeah, didn't happen. They're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, no, you, you, you work harder. You got to dust yourself off. It might stink that someone kind of blew you off, but if you just kind of wallow you're in your own misery, you're not going to get anywhere further. So yeah. the fact that you saw the life lessons, not even just from the, you know, the verbal conversations, but just the actions you saw your grandfather go through and what you and your daughter had, those conversations are great. Cause you want to make sure that they're included, but you mm -hmm. also feel like, look, I know you miss me, but let's cherish the time we do have together. Yeah. So when we, when we're there together, we're not on our phones. We're not like, you know, just maybe watching a movie all the time or maybe going on a hike or doing something where it's like interactive. So Bryce, I love that, man. Yeah. Um, talk yeah. I love that question at the, at the dinner table, by the way, uh, <clears throat> that you're talking about, I always ask them, what was the best part of your day? Yeah. And they always say something, go through it. And, and it's so much fun to, to watch that and hear their, not just the things that, that get them excited that they experienced that day, but again, you're starting to hear what's important to them that day. If there was a social component, if it was something that they, but a lot of times the older my kids are getting the, their, their best part of their days are little wins that they had. Yeah. Right. Yep. Something that yep. they learned in math or did something. They were the first one to answer the question, right. The older they're getting the wins are that much more important. And I know that that's, that's not profound. Like all of us would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause you're starting to care more about performance and all that stuff. But to me, there's an identity aspect to it. 
that I, I we have a duty as we're leading our families and we're being fathers, we have a duty to 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 build that identity to give them as many wins as we can to help them see that. And that goes back to what we're saying about making a decision, right? It's not about making their decisions for them. You know, what, what was the, the uh, Jordan Peterson said, the worst thing you could ever say to your kid is be careful. <laughs> right. And I agree with that. It's like, I want my kid and I fuss at my wife all the time. Cause she's always like, be careful Keegan. You know, and as he's going out the door, I'm like, look, he, he's going to be okay. You know, we're not going to let him do something that's crazy, but, but the, some of the most joy I've ever felt in my kids and as a, as their father is watching them go down a racetrack or my son was doing BMX for a little while. As soon when he was dropping off of that starting gate, like my stomach was sinking, but you, when they come through it, Man, what, how, what, how is it possible to feel more pride in your kids than that moment that they experience a win or they do something dangerous and they're okay? Um, and, and just being able to support them. And I, I firmly believe this too, Art. Uh, man, I, I tell my kids all the time that, that I'm proud of them. You know, my dad did that for me growing up and, and he always talks and jokes like that's the only thing he did for me. And I don't know if that's true or not, but he was a fabulous provider and he was always telling me he is proud of me. And honestly, what more do I need to run through brick walls than that? Yeah. But I, I, I'm a big believer in looking at my, my, my kids and saying, I am so proud of you, but I have also learned that there's a flip side of that coin that I also have to ask. There's a second question. It's, are you proud of yourself? Nice. Like I'm proud of you for that effort, buddy. You did great today in the in your game. You did so good. Are you proud of yourself? And they always look at me and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'm proud of myself." Now because I learned, I heard someone say this a long time ago when they were like, "Look, you're not always going to be there to tell them that you're proud of them." And if all of their self pride is based on you saying that, it's good because a lot of people never had that as at, from their dad at all growing up. Yep. But and that's good. But the great thing is after when you're not there and they're grown and out of your house, are they going to learn what it looks like in the moments to be proud of themselves and their own effort? And and that that it takes such a small decision because it's actually a question. It's not like you've got to point those out. Hey, I'm proud of you for doing this, this and this. What about you? Are you proud of yourself for how you played today and listening to what brings them out? Because they'll tell you what was important to them. That has allowed me to find my own next year as a dad with them. And think about a 20-year-old kid that is, knows his dad loves him and is proud of him and then also knows how to how to work at a level that he's proud of. Man, that that's an unstoppable kid. Yeah. I think that – I mean, you can give another piece of advice or a dad hack, but I think that's the – I think you already answered my next question about, like, dad hack or piece of advice. Not only tell them that you're proud of them, but ask them if they're proud of, you know, what they accomplished or what they did for that day. That That is amazing. And, you know, you said something about, like, you know, you, you, you wonder how long you're going to be cool in your daughter's eyes. I think like the coolness factor, everything changes at different ages. Right. But I think the biggest thing that I kind of give kids is like, Oh, you know, you got teenagers, especially daughters. Good luck. I'm like, you feed into that stereotype, then you're going to yeah. have that stereotype, right? Like mm. someone says to you like, Oh, that kid's rambunctious. He's the cast clown. He doesn't, you know, can't sit still in school. Well, okay, that's, they're telling me that. So I guess that's what they're expecting of me. Right. Yes. I always say like, take stock in your kids. Like, you know, we, it seems like our families both respectively, like want to like learn about their day through dinner and all that. And we actually care. And one mm -hmm. of the things, instead of saying like, I'll rub some dirt on it or, Hey, if that person is going to be your friend in life, you know, they'll still be there with you. But if they're not, then they'll just drop off and you don't have to worry about them saying that to them is like, 
showing like you don't care about like the issues that they're going through because huh. yeah. something that a 15 year old is going through is a lot different than a 44 year old going to because of that life experience. So my advice to, you know, other people, and it's just, when you were talking about like, I wonder if my daughter's going to still think I'm cool. <laughs> They'll think you're cool because you will care about what's affecting all of them. Right. Like mm-hmm. my wife and I will have conversations being like, Oh, so-and-so was kind of like had a rough day or so-and-so was in kind of a bad mood. Well, let's just kind of find out what's going on. And one of us might have a one-on-one and you learn like how to, you bet. I I know, you know, this, like the three, your three different kids have different ways of expressing themselves and talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Like not, not all of them want to sit down with you. Some of them might want to go on a hike or a walk with you, or someone want to like build Legos and talk that way where it's, you know, not mm. feels like it's forced, but I'm just saying like the idea of like a coolness factor, I think mm. as they get older, especially teenagers, if they're like, he really cares about me. That's cool. That's the thing where, cause kids are always at that age trying to find their identity. And if they can fi- find their circle, not saying you'd be friends with your kid, but I'm just saying like, be there, yeah. for your kid, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and just being able to, to, like you're saying, it's not, you know, you're able to hear them. They feel like they're heard. Uh, but also like they, I just think to your point, like they, they, maybe they're just seen as a human being more so than anything else. And man, that, that in and of itself is empowering. Cause you know, I know a lot of people grew up and they, they, their resentment, they're resentful towards the way they were brought up or their relationship with their parents. And, and to, to break that chain, I guess, to change that, man, when in doubt, ask a question, when in doubt, ask a question, get better at asking questions. And I don't know about the social component because even hearing my eight-year-old talk about drama in third grade, like, you know, I'm just, I'm waiting until, middle school because I'm going to hate all the other kids in that school. I just know it, you know, I'm already aggravated at the teachers that, you know, even just marking them wrong, not because they missed a question, but because they didn't say something encouraging to my beautiful eight-year-old that doesn't ever do anything wrong. Right. Uh, but you know, going into middle school, man, I'm not looking forward to that social component that, uh, but I, I, that's the only thing I'm telling myself. And I don't know if this is true or not. So you tell me if I get really good at asking questions to a middle school my middle school daughter, then I I have hope to actually get through it. <laughs> you will no it, middle. It's, it seems like middle school now in like today's society is worse than high school. Mm. Hmm. It seems like everybody's kind of like testing the limits. Like sixth grade, you're kind of like the first day face at a job. You're like, all right, I can do this. And like towards the end of that year, you're kind of like, oh, there's only three like three grades here. You know, tradi- well, different classes in different places around the world have in yeah. the country have different like setups but where we've been it's always been like you know sixth seventh and eighth for middle school right mm-hmm. and so I, I i would just say like prepare them to you know just be there for them high school my oldest is in high school and she's like so much better than middle school whereas me like i thought middle school was awesome growing up in the 80s and 90s and then <laughs> high school you're kind of nervous because you're just like that dude's the same age as me. <laughs> like, how is he that tall? Like, right. Like you just kind of felt like maybe I fell into the stereotypes of TV shows and movies being like high school is the scariest place. But no, I think yeah. it's, it's just, I think the biggest thing is just communicating with your kids and maybe also too, depending on how you and your wife see it this way, kids don't need social media. Like my kids, mm-hmm. even in high school, they don't have social media. My kids were like, why can't I have this? So-and-so's got Snapchat or Instagram. I'm like, You've got 50 eyes looking at you and judging and you feel that you go on social media, you have millions of people like from anywhere around the world and just like poking fun at you and they don't even know who you are. I said, you're trying to find yourself. So that would be another advice. I mean, like as much as like you guys run your family the way you want, (laughs) Bryce, but like I found that like just being in this parenting space, someone's like, oh, because we all have FOMO. Like, yeah. 
we yeah. all have FOMO, but especially at that age where they're trying to find themselves, it's like, am I not as good as that person? So that's just my yeah, piece of advice, man. Absolutely. Yeah. We have no plans to do social media. We don't even, we haven't even set a, a, a time limit. I mean, I got a, I got a phone when I was 16 when I got a car, right. That was our family's rule. Yeah. I, I, my plan is to at least do that. Um, as far as just getting them, you know, cause nowadays you got to have access to at least communicate with them, but social media, I, I mean, it's such a dangerous world. I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me that that's, that, that that's building so many identities. You talk about identities like that social media is building identities and, and no wonder depression and anxieties through the roof and the stuff that a high schooler is dealing with psychologically. You're right. We never dealt with any of that. Like I didn't deal with that until, I don't know, I was 25, you know, yeah. here you got a 13 year old having to, to, to go through some of this stuff. And um, I don't, I don't envy that at all, but it's funny because I think people think that, Oh, well, if I'm doing that, I'm sheltering them. You know, you hear this, that word, it's like, well, you don't want to be a, a too, you know, you don't want to shelter your kids too much. Well, why not? Like, you know, I mean, well, because they go crazy when they get out of the house. That's not, that's, that is, someone needs to write or do a deep dive study on that. Like, like <laughs> what is the likelihood of what we would call sheltered kids going off the deep? End? Oh, I had a friend back in high school and his parents were the worst. And now he's a cocaine dealer and all this stuff. It's like, what? That Maybe, like, maybe, but maybe the sheltering part had nothing to do with it. And I just don't think we need to be so afraid because now all of a sudden what's happened is society, they, they've, they've taken the word protect your kids and changed it to don't shelter your kids because they want their minds sooner because it'll lock them into the way that they, that society wants them to think in their direction and in their way and, and turn them into you know, good little boys and girls, taxpayers down the road uh, that won't, you know, that won't be based on any truth or won't be based on anything that's uh, that has solid ground in it. So anyway, now I'm going, now I'm starting to sound preachy here, but uh, yeah, no, I love no. it. Social media, we're going to wait as long as we can. <laughs> yeah. Like when you, when you have the people who used to run or still running social media sites saying, oh yeah, my kids don't have this. Why? Yes. Why is that? Right. <laughs> yes. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. Man. All right. Moving on to your book, Gear for Life, meaning uh, making the shift uh, into full potential. I love the fact that, you know, you wrote this book, obviously, for a monster truck driver, Guinness World Record holder, which we'll get in a second, speaker, and so much more. At what point? Because everyone probably says outside your family, probably friends or just people in your circles being like, Price, when are you going to write a book? Was it kind of like that? Or did you think about writing a book and then like, you had the time, like, all right, let's go do this. Like, how did this book come to be, man? Yeah, I never thought I would write a book. I had no plans to either. I love speaking. I love it. I, I enjoy it, not because, it, you know, people have to sit there and listen to me by any means, but I love the prep that goes into write, uh, doing a talk because I'll prep for 100 hours and then rehearse. It makes me a better version of myself when I'm trying to piece together, like, how can I create value for this audience? And so when I it came around to an idea of writing a book, my brother was the one that was like, you know, to your point, like you got to write a book, you got to put it on paper. I never really knew where to start. And so I started thinking about this question. And this is the hardest question I think that anybody uh, and that, that can wrestle with. It's what, you know, what problem are you trying to solve and why are you qualified to solve it? And that's a big question for a speaker. It's a big question for an author. And I struggled with that a lot. And so as I started going through and writing that, I finally realized, you know, I'm not, the guy that if you were like, Bryce, I need to understand what it takes mentally and physically to, to like win an Olympic gold medal. Like I need to run at that level, perform at that level. I'm not that guy. I don't know. 
right? I don't think that there's a secret to life out there. I just don't. What I've come to realize is that I'm an expert in finding my next gear, going from one situation, getting out of a bad situation and turning it into a good situation, right? I've been an expert at that. I went from uh, professional drag racing to getting fired from a corporate job uh, to getting another corporate job that was very lucrative, placing CEOs into private equity, um, and then uh, uh, switching in from that into Monster Jam and leveraging that business experience that I learned into the world of motorsports. It looks so crazy, and it looks like I was just all over the map, but if I had time to explain why each step made sense, and in my opinion was providential, then it would make it, it, you know, you would never question whether I, you know, turned this bad situation and, and found the good in it. You know, you, you mentioned the, the saying behind my head sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, right? As long as you're learning, you're not losing. And if you can leverage the lesson into the next thing, then you're never really stuck. And so, the, my book, Geared for Life, it's all about finding that next gear. So yeah. if someone feels like they're burnt out or they've been stuck in the same gear forever, because this is what happens. We all kind of, our head hits the pillow at some point in life and we're going, is this it? Like, is this really all there is? Yeah. I, I just figured, uh, you know, maybe it's a sophomore in college that's just struggling uh, uh, for to figure out what they want to major in. Or the 35-year-old professional that's settled and they're just kind of like, man, I got to do this for another 30 years. I don't even like what I'm doing now. <laughs> or maybe it's the 65-year-old that just retired that's going like, man, I, I'm bored, right? And your head hits the pillow and you're asking those tough questions. And my advice to anybody is we we freak out when we don't know the end of the story, when we don't know uh, what the finish line is going to look like. But that's not your job. Yes, have a great vision. Yes, create visions for your life and where you want to go in a direction. But visions are better for direction. But at some point, you just need to shift into that next gear. Because a lot of people, they're they're so bent on making first gear. They Some people have been, been in first gear their entire careers. And just like a car, if you turn at a stoplight and you're getting onto the highway and you're on that on-ramp, right, and you just start going, and even if your car is an automatic, you hear it shift, right? You, all of a sudden, you start going, it shifts about 4,000 RPM. Well, most people have been in first gear and have been running at 8,000 RPM, and the engine's about to blow up in their life, and they wonder why. It's because they are trying to get to highway speed. They, they need to get to fifth and sixth gear, but they've never shifted out of first. And so I really hope and believe that by the time someone gets to the end of my book, they're going to steal some of my gears. You know, and my gears are my foundational beliefs that I have to make a conscious decision to shift into. Sometimes it's making a, a decision based on my purpose not what's popular or what's monetarily makes the most sense. Sometimes it's a gear. I've got a gear that's called fail faster. Sometimes I, I have to go into that gear where I really want the results and I want the successes. And it's like, man, you'll get the successes, but you've got 98 failures to get through first. Yeah. And when I go into that mindset, it's like, oh, that's fine. I just got to get through all these failures as quickly as I can. That's a gear. Or maybe yeah. it's becoming built for other people. And I've got to take that gear shifter and find that gear and live in that gear until I get through that situation. So I think people will get through to the end of my book. They'll steal a couple of my gears, but my hope is that they uncover some of their own. They really start to understand what they believe at their core, because when you understand what you believe, it drives your actions. And when you, you get enough actions the way you want it, that builds momentum, which is the only way to go out there and actually see those dreams come to fruition in our life.
love it on so many fronts and you know you stole one of my gears because my one of my other questions are gonna be like what do you hope people will take away from this book you went right <laughs> through it so i love that no, but what you're saying though there too about man like the idea of like keeping up with the joneses and the fact that you know went from drag racing to corporate corporate then you went you know into monster truck you got your own sets of fears own sets of desires own sets of like dreams and all that for that but then to, to, again going back to the circles thing depending on like family friends co-workers like you're doing that right yeah. there's so many different things that fall into it and while you were just talking about the different seasons and the different things that got you to where you are i spoke at unc uh i befriended a guy through uh, setting up a guest for my podcast. And he's a professor at UNC. And he's like, hey, I would love for you to talk to my communications class because I have a communications degree. I was like, yeah, cool. I was, when I was plotting things out, I'm like, man, I'm all over the map. I'm like, where was I? And I never thought I'd be talking about parenting and running a podcast. I wanted to get in radio and all that stuff. And I did get in radio, but like, it's just funny how you were talking about things. And it's just kind of like, almost made a little sense of clarity for me where it's like, you don't have to go this one direction. Mm -hmm. And for- Young kids, if they're listening to this or whatever, it's like, you know, you said sophomore in high school, like, what am I supposed to do? People in their 40s, like you said, 40s, 50s, 60s are still like, what am I going to do? Right. There's yeah. always that idea of like, you need to like, you need to like know what you want to do. And there's parts of school that an education system that I love. And then seeing it as a parent and looking at your kids do certain things like, is this really helpful? Like, do we really <laughs> need our kids to do this right now? Like, this is just busy work. <laughs> like, yes. Right? Oh. We're yes. going to have enough busy work when we're raking leaves and going shopping <laughs> and all that stuff. Like, we don't need to prepare. Maybe Sweeping out the garage. Yeah. But I just love <laughs> the fact that you were just like, the way you're, you know, breaking things down in your book is going to be fantastic. And, you know, I, I while you're writing this book, are there certain parts of your life where you're, you know, you're sharing with the audience where you're just like, you look at it differently from, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty and all that good stuff. But like for you, was there one part of your life where you shared where you were like, man, I'm so glad. I, it was like, it was almost like a no brainer. Like, yeah, this is gonna be a no brainer. But at the time yeah. you had like so many qualms or just issues like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Yeah. Did you have one of those moments that you'd like? Yeah, to it was when I left my corporate career for Monster Jam. I took a 30% pay cut to do it. Um, I and, when and Jam, your kid was coming along the way too, right? Yeah, yeah and actually had already got here, right? So we had our firstborn already, and uh, I was struggling because, it, you know, I grew up in professional drag racing. That was the dream, right? So when I first talked to Monster Jam, right when I got out of drag racing in 2011, um, they said, have you ever been to a Monster Jam event? And I went, no. I, I'd seen a Monster, I'd seen Gravedigger one time in my life, but he didn't jump anything. He was just at a race, like a display. Yeah. I'd never been to an event. And they said, Oh, we should probably go check it out. And, you know, before we talk about you coming and driving a truck, I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And so after I went and I, I looked at it and I, you never forget the first time you see a monster jam truck fly through the air. It's just, it defies logic. And I remember calling back saying, Hey, this looks pretty cool. I'd be interested in driving. They said, okay, great. Uh, timing's not great for us. We'll, we'll call you if it's ever right. And that was in 2011. And it, they didn't call me back for four years. And so when they called me back, I was, I was in knee deep in that corporate career. I was going down that pathway because my goal was to create wealth and get back into professional drag racing down the road. If it took me 40 years, so what, right? It was my passion. It was my dream. It was my purpose. And, uh, and so when they, then when they called me back though, four years later, you know, it was, it, it came back in my life. I did it as a hobby. And then that's when a sponsor came around great clips and they were sponsoring a truck and Monster Jam was like, hey, uh, we, we've got your name on this list. 
as a potential driver for this sponsored truck. And I said, no way. Um, I said, take my name off the list. I said, oh, okay. Okay. I said, there's no way I could go and represent a sponsor. I know what that took in drag racing. I can't do that with my corporate job. Yeah. And uh, they said, okay. So they called me a month later. Hey man, we know you said, take your name off the list, but uh, you're actually one of the finalists uh, of the trucks. You know, what do you think? And I said, absolutely not. Yeah. I said, I told you guys to take my name off the list. I'm, I'm serious. I can't do it. I said, okay. One more month goes by. They call me. They say, Bryce, we know you said take your name off the list, but we didn't because we didn't think they'd choose you. They've officially chosen you as the driver of this truck. Like, what would it take? And I said, okay, who's the company, right? And then that's when they told me it was great clips. I, and I, I love the business model. I love that it was franchisee-based, you know, a thousand franchisees out there. So it was like every time I went into a market, you know, I'd get to interact with a CEO, another CEO, a thousand CEOs in my mind, 40,000 stylists. There's an ability to impact and, and create leadership components and all this crazy cool stuff, a $1.7 billion company, right? So it's not like a, a small organization. It's a big conglomerate and all those things that was, that all just seemed to line up. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there in my garage, I see all the memorabilia in my, in my shop. And that was the moment I realized after two weeks of trying to noodle around on it, like I, I remembered who I wanted to be, not just what I wanted to do. Like did the did monster jam, align with what I had always dreamed of doing? No, because it was only professional drag racing. But when I saw the memorabilia and the memories and the banners and the pictures of my grandfather at the track, that's when I looked and I said, you know, I remembered who I wanted to be, which was someone who used the platform of motorsports to impact the world. That's my, that was my, who I wanted to become the best version of Bryce Kinney is somebody that pours himself out into the motorsports world in every way, shape, and form. Yeah. That's when I decided the what of Monster Jam aligned with that. And I got off the phone, the phone call I was on, standing in my shop, but I had nothing to do with that decision. I called Monster Jam right away, and I said, I'm in. And I, like I said, I took a 30% pay cut to do it because it wasn't about the what. You know, so many people are going through life, they don't feel like they're doing enough. They don't feel like they're doing the right stuff. And maybe they're not. But the reason is, is they're chasing after happiness. They're chasing after things they think are going to make them happy. And I think that's the dumbest decision and strategy to have. Unhappiness art is not the goal either, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. happiness is a byproduct to living in your purpose and doing what you are meant to do on this earth. And people are like, oh, well, how do you find your purpose? Well, we're, we don't have the time to go through all that, but get my book geared for life because I go through an entire chapter about being purpose-driven. Uh, but as soon as I got back into the who and the best version of Bryce Kinney, it was easier to make those harder decisions. And my wife was the first one to remind me of that too and go, look, babe, we'll figure it out. Like, let's go, you know? And, and, and I, I remind her that of all time, like she was the one that freed me up to go and actually chase after something. And, and that, that was seven years ago that we took that plunge. And I shared that story and that thought process and what was going through my mind in detail in my book because I'm no, I'm no, you know, better. I'm not more special uh, or more unique than anybody that picks up Geared for Life and reads through it. The difference is, is my life. I just, I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't know I'd be doing what I'm doing today. I just took one situation, whether it was good or bad, and I found a way to shift into that next gear. And when things got more chaotic 
and those RPMs in the engine were reaching 7,500 RPMs and life was screaming at me. I thought it was all going to blow up. I just shifted into the next gear. And then all of a sudden I got so much momentum that here I'm sitting here on your podcast, talking about my book and all these speaking engagements. It doesn't make me better than anybody, but it was one decision that led to the next one, to the next one. And I just never gave up and allowed myself to get burnt out and never allowed myself to go all the way back to neutral to start over. So good, man. Love that. And again, I really appreciate you sharing that on my podcast because I think, you know, especially not just for parents, but this is a lesson that they can teach their kids about finding themselves and at whatever age they, they need to find themselves at the, you mm -hmm. know, to make sure that they're on the right, they're going on the path that they need to go on. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions before we finish off with the father quick five. You talked about having a platform to do good. And I think one of the things that you can teach your kids not just by saying things, but also by your actions is um, through your foundation mm. of like warriors, man. Like, so I love the fact that you, you know, you have an influence and a positive influence in different communities. Talk about that foundation, man. Yeah, we do it. It's a volunteer army that makes coordinated efforts and, and goes out and fills specific needs in the pediatric cancer uh, community. And it's not even just pediatric cancer. I get so many stories and so many families that reach out because they're, their, their families love monster jam and they're going through a tough time. And, and then I kind of lock into these kids stories and I love them. And I find these real specific needs. Sometimes it's a piece of furniture that I find out that they're looking for. And, and very rarely does anyone reach out to me to ask for things. It's like, we hear about a family that needs this. I, I heard about a family that was Ubering two hours, one way to their cancer treatments for their little girl because they were in a car wreck a year previous. So I was like, hey, look, all it takes is a, is a volunteer army of people and go and make a coordinated effort to go and fill that. And, and that's exactly what we did. And so I've got a warrior chain. I call it like my bat signal that goes up in the sky. Nice. So when I find a need that we need to fill, I just put the bat signal up in the sky and these people jump all over it because they know the money's not coming to me, right? They know it's not going to pay for rent or printer ink. It's going to fill that specific need and I had Chris Angel, the Vegas magician. Uh, he's been a buddy, and and his son is uh his son has gone through two bouts of pediatric cancer. Mm. And uh, and Chris actually saw my post because I was just trying to find any vehicle out there in the United States, and then I was going to find a way to get the vehicle up to upstate New York. And I found some, like one was in Kansas and one was here, and they were decent little cars. But Chris Angel called me. He said, "Don't get them some." you know, $6,000 vehicle. He said, I'll, I'll write you a check for 20 grand. Just go get them something that's like, that's actually reliable because no one should be Ubering to their cancer treatments. Oh, so man. it's been everything from a $1,500 piece of furniture up to getting a car for a family that, that was doing that and everything in between. But here's what's cool. Yes. We're filling needs. Yes. We're helping people that need specific help, but it's getting more people off the sidelines and it's making more people realize they can do more yeah. than they thought they could. And people love it because they know they're not just giving blindly to some organization that's probably just paying for that, you know, that doctor's Porsche out in the driveway, right? It's actually going to people that need their money. So when they give 10 bucks, that 10 bucks is going to go to a cause and they can give what they can. Sometimes it's not even a financial. Sometimes, like I said, it's just coordinating. It was Hey, I found this car in Kansas. How do I get it from Kansas to upstate New York? Oh, somebody's uncle happens to be on that route as a, as a, a truck driver and can pick up the car and get it to upstate New York. Like you never know when things can, can happen that way if we're willing to coordinate it, but yeah. that's what live like warriors does. And it's getting more people into the game of helping others. And it's been so rewarding to, uh, to kind of spearhead. 
Love it, man. Kudos to you and, you know, just your organization for doing that. Like you want, you <laughs> always hear like negative stories online or whatever, just news and all that stuff, but like to actually have like some positive stories. And like when people hear about this, they're like, I can, I want to do something. How can I help? And then when you start yeah. helping, it's like, it's contagious and you're not doing it because like, Oh, look at me. Well, some people, maybe some people are yeah. but the idea of like my family and I, we try and do volunteer work uh, at least once a month. And it's just the idea of like you, it puts things in perspective. You said earlier about chasing happiness, right behind me. I'm a collector. I get it. And there's a lot of things that like chasing happiness, like coming down this one, you know, collectible, whatever the case may be. Once you get it, you're like, uh. and you start to realize, and you're just like, it's not all about the things you have. It's about how you're living life and how you, you know, how you're helping others. So yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and, and, man. And, and I hope that somebody that gives to live like warriors, maybe they give 10 bucks, but the end goal then the end game is not that live like warriors is always what, what people give to. I want people to realize that their neighbor that can't fill their gas tank up next week could use a $25 gift card from sheets. Yep. If, if that's the movement and the community that we start where people are actually start realizing they can do more than they thought they could, then they, then they start to find more needs right around them in their immediate families, right against their, their, in their neighborhoods. And they're able to do more that, that is a massive win. That's what our world is missing. You know, I love the people that want to help and give the organization just say, Hey, Bryce, go take this to a good cause. But I love the people that take that and say, man, I could actually go and give that 20 bucks to my brother who's struggling with this. And it would actually help out a lot. Boom. That's where all of a sudden now we've created a movement of change. Yeah. You're creating a movement, a network of change of people are looking to do more good than yeah. just about. Yeah. So I love it. Um, one more question. I got to say like kudos to you for the Guinness world record. And that's something mm -hmm. not just pride that you can have for yourself, but also a great way to live, you know, pass on some legacy and all that to have, to have a Guinness world record is legit, man. So just talk about getting that record and what it meant to you at the time. And now reflecting back on it, like, what does it mean to you now? Yeah, man. Uh, so we set the speed record and we were the first ever monster truck in the world to hit triple digits. So we went hundred miles an hour. And when people hear that, they're like, okay, I went hundred miles an hour on the highway last week and uh, got a speeding ticket. Okay, great. But uh, you know, look, the, a monster jam truck going hundred, it felt like, you know, I've been 300 miles an hour in a top fuel car in my life. So I know what real speed is at hundred miles an hour and something that weighs 12,000 pounds with six, each tire weighing 600 pounds each you know, and not built for speed. Yeah. It was very violent. And uh, it felt like 170, 180 miles an hour uh, going down the, the racetrack. And someone said that they were like, you know, uh, man, so no one's ever gone hundred miles an hour in a monster truck. And I said, no, and no one's ever crashed one of these at hundred miles an hour either. So, and that's what we were up against because the truck could have literally vibrated itself apart. And so it was so unique and hard. It was really difficult. We did it in Florida. The weather was terrible. The humidity was awful. And humidity is a is a, a, a motor's enemy when it comes to making horsepower. And so we we weren't getting uh, what, the power that we needed to break it. Came up with a game plan. We were able to pull it off in the very last run. We had 100.3 miles an hour. And it was cool because, like you said, I, I, I had never thought about – being in the Guinness world record book, you know, when you yeah. open up the 2022 Guinness world record book and I'm on page one Oh three and I, I'm, I'm right there. And it, and it's, I just cannot believe it. I used to look at those as, you know, with my buddies in fifth grade 
and you know before our little basketball game started and stuff and just look at the guy with the longest fingernails you know and like the guy that went down the ground and curled up and then all of a sudden you turn a couple more pages and there's me now it's just it's pretty cool it'll be broken um and i hope to kind of go back and then be able to re-break it and and keep that that momentum going but it was such an honor for everybody at monster jam to be a part of for great clips and uh i i never i never got my guinness world record like plaque you know i need to i i gotta find that out maybe there's someone that listens to this podcast that has a hookup with guinness world record but i need my plaque because you talk about heirloom like that's going to be something i'd love to give to my kids one day no doubt yeah i love that and, and just the idea of, again like, like you mentioned like again it's all about perspective being like 100 miles out, yeah, I did that, and like, you got a ticket. But that's maybe a sports car, sedan, whatever the case may be. Like, one of our – this is years ago when we were living in New Jersey. They had – um one of my daughters went to a birthday party, and, like, you go in a monster truck. And it was just like, this thing is huge. But if I, I used to see them, like, when I lived in Chicago, it was, like, at the Rosemount Horizon. Like, oh, are you a good boy? Come see the bad boy, son. Like, that was the <laughs> thing, like, you know. And an XCB one, like, man, this is intense. So, yeah, it's just, again, it's all about perspective. Again, congrats on getting – the Guinness book uh, record. And uh, yeah, hopefully get your, like, you're just, you know, you should get some type of like, like trophy or something. It's like, this is what I did, man. That's right. Yeah. It'd be, and, it'd be cool. And <laughs> you're so good at telling stories because yeah, everybody that looks at the Guinness world, world records at school, like at the book fair, cause it always be there, like, you know, uh, featured. And you always look at the fingernails, the tallest <laughs> person with the shortest person in America, like in the country. Like, yeah, I love how you just like pretty much, brought up so much nostalgia right there about <laughs> <Yeah>. the fingernails, <laughs> man. <laughs> oh man, I love it. And you know, I tell a lot of the the behind the scenes stuff as well in my book about that moment. And it's actually in my it's, you know, I'm a big believer in making memories not egos. And uh, and that's a whole gear that I'm in, right? And so maybe that's why I haven't really fought to find that plaque because it's I I really I mean, the memories I've got from that day and working with my colleagues and doing that, it meant more to me. Th that to me is what I refer to as like the best trophies are yeah. the ones that are like the memories we make along the way should be the trophies that we're trying to gather and have on our shelf. And, uh, but because of that, and because of that gear, I haven't been tenacious enough to get my plaque to hand down to my kids. So <laughs> anyway, but I hope people do enjoy the behind the scenes stories and, and all the stories I tell in my book, you know, people aren't going to buy this book and go, Oh, great. Now I'm going to like learn what it looks to drive a monster jam truck. Like you'll learn some of that behind the scenes stuff. And I use that to make my points, but you're going to walk away from that book, realizing that you believe more than you realize you believe. And there's more opportunities to go out there and create change. And there's more ability for you to just find that next gear you never knew you had. And if you do that, man, you're unstoppable. Love it. Yeah. Great, great read. And, and people should definitely check it out. And of course, uh, we're gonna finish off with the father quick five favorite family movie. Do you guys have one right now? Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Adam Sandler. I can't believe I'm uh, bedtime stories. Okay, nice. Bedtime stories where he tells a story and it comes to like it, right? ha it happens in real life. <laughs> My kid, we love that that we love that movie. Nice genre of music or a band you couldn't wait to introduce your kids to is. So I, I, it's not that I couldn't wait to introduce them to country, but I'm a country fan. And my, my daughter has like taken it on as well. So there's a song <laughs> five foot nine by, I can't remember who it is, but I always love it because it, you know, it, it reminds me of my wife so much and, and my kids get to watch me like rock out to, 
five foot nine, that country song. And they, they know it's about their mom and me just getting to like, you know, being, be insanely grateful that I get to be her husband. (laughs) Nice. Love it. Describe the perfect family vacation. Where would it be? At the lake. Uh, well, that's actually probably selfish because my kids are getting a little spoiled. And they're like, oh, like we're on the lake this weekend. And uh, they're like, oh, how many nights are we stay in? Just one, right? And I'm like, what? Who are you? Like, we get to go to the lake this weekend. What? So they're getting a little spoiled. For me, it's perfect um, because, you know, sit there by the fire pit, have a nice cigar, uh, you know, enjoy the, the music outside and all that stuff. And just looking at the water. Oh, man, that 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 makes me. That, that lets all the anxiety just melt away that comes along with, you know, being on the road and being away from family. Those are the memories. Oh, I love making with my family. Nice. All right. Fourth, I'm going to kind of switch up a little bit for you, for, you know, for drag racing, all that. Was there a venue that you really enjoyed, you know, for, for maybe mm-hmm. people that haven't gone in person to that track or that venue, is there a venue that you would highly suggest people to check out? I, my favorite venue to compete in is actually the Cardinals stadium. So the Arizona Cardinals, um, it's there in Glendale. It's huge. The floor is massive. The fans are always loud, but it's funny. The, the craziest fan base is actually El Paso, Texas. Oh, wow. So it's a border state or city. You've got people from Mexico up on the mountainsides watching from Mexico into the stadium, which is the UTEP, uh, UTEP stadium. But the fans that are there in the stadium, they will not leave Saturday night. They are yelling after freestyle. They <laughs> will not leave. I'm walking around waving to people, telling them bye. And they, they're not going anywhere. And so that man, that's what you hope for. You feel like a rock star in that moment, but you just know, like, these are the things I'm not going to forget 40 years from now. Yeah. Nice, man. Love that. And lastly, top three words you hope your kids would use to describe you as a dad. What would you mm. want them to be? Mm, that's a good one. I, I would say a leader first, passionate and humble. Nice. Great. Those would be the three. If I could dream it, that would be the ones I hope they can carve on my tombstone from their perspective. <laughs> Love it. No, those are great three words. People make sure you follow Bryce on Instagram at Warrior Bryce. In addition, pick up his book, Gear for Life, Making the Shift into Your Full Potential at Bryce Kenny or wherever you purchase books. Again, thank you so much for your time. I loved your insight on Father. I love your just outlook in life and also like just spread, spreading positivity. And that, you know, obviously comes through in the book. But I wish you and your family continued success. But man, it was an honor chatting with you. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Had a lot of fun as well. And uh, we'll just have to to fire up the the uh, the old N64 one of these days when I'm I'm near you and uh, battle it out on NBA jams. Awesome, can't wait. All right, buddy. Thanks. I want to say thank you to Begin Health for sponsoring this week's edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Really appreciate the work that they're doing with their Growing Up Prebiotics. It's a daily prebiotic for toddlers and kids ages one and up. If you want to look to support your kiddos' immune system and digestive health, make sure you go to beginhealth.com. And while you're on the internet, make sure you go to artoffatherhood.net. Check out the podcast. Check out the weekly columns like Dad's Doing It Right, Collector of the Week. There's articles on pop culture. My family and I sometimes write stories and articles together. All great stories centering around family and fatherhood. And also, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast. It helps get the word out. I really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening to the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and go to artoffatherhood.net.